Let's start this evening with a word of prayer. If you'd bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we just want to give you thanks tonight that you are the great I am. We want to give you thanks tonight, Lord, that you entered this world, changed our lives. We want to thank you, Lord, tonight for your indescribable gift and the incredible love that you have for each and every one of us here. We'd be lost, Lord, completely lost, empty, if it was not for Jesus Christ. Our lives would be controlled, dominated, and addicted to sin. The patterns of our life would be so destructive. And Lord, you changed us. You changed us. Oh, that we'd believe as we sang tonight, what if we really believed Christ lived in us? What if we really believed the promise that we have? What would our lives be? What could they be if only we really believed? Father, we ask you tonight that you would touch our hearts, that you would open our eyes and the eyes of our heart and our imagination to understand what it is that you can and would do with us if only we're willing, if only we choose differently. Lord, tonight, <clears throat> I pray that you'd use this series that we begin tonight and you help us to understand the impact that the Bible people can have on our lives as we're going together through this book, The Divine Mentor. I pray tonight, Lord, you just put more flesh on the bones. Help us to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to begin a series, and I hope you'll come back for it. <clears throat> if for some reason you can't make it back, you can go to strongdisciple.com and you'll find the series there. But tonight is entitled, The Bible People Who Shaped Me. <clears throat> if you look back in your life, every single one of us, no matter who we are, we have people in our lives that influenced us. Parents, teachers, coaches, friends. And the ones that I've mentioned thus far are the kind, to be honest, they're just simply part of the journey of life. You really had no choice in the matter, usually. <clears throat> but something happens <clears throat> to all of us when we hit our, <clears throat> our early teen years <clears throat> and for sure our late teen years. <clears throat> We're drawn to certain kinds of individuals. And many of us made choices on our own of who would influence us who we would emulate, who we looked up to. And we had reasons for the people we did. <clears throat> I have a friend, for example. He's somewhat younger than I am. He grew up when Pearl Jam was just making it big and Eddie Vedder was on all the MTV videos. <clears throat> and he just loved Eddie Vedder. He loved everything he stood for. He loved his hair. He loved his voice. He became a singer, he copied his style, and his life became incredibly destructive. In my own life, I came of age, I'm a little older than most of you here. Not some tonight, I noticed some people here tonight that might be a little older than I am. But I, but I came of age between 1968 and 1975. Those were my, for me, my formative and my Poorly chosen years. <clears throat> and I, because I'm a musician and I'm a singer 
and I play the guitar, and I write songs. And because of the era I grew up in, I was really drawn, particularly to musicians. Bob Dylan, James Taylor, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and I could go on down the list of band after band, but, but I was especially drawn to those who would sing and write their own songs and play their own music, and I immersed myself in their culture, if you want to say that, privately, privately. I never got into the drugs, and I'm very grateful for that. I never got into the alcohol. <clears throat> for whatever reason, let's just call it the parental influence that I had, I just thought that was stupid. I wasn't going to mess with my brain. I wasn't going to mess with my body. I understood what those things could do. But what I didn't grasp was the influence their mindset and their values and their attitudes would have on me. <clears throat> and so I was going to bring pictures, but as you know, I'm not a real picture guy. I have about five pictures of myself from that era of my life. I had extremely long hair. I, I loved the long hair, so they had it. I had it. <clears throat> I love the leather fringe jacket. They had it. I had it. I love the rebellion. I mean, I... Even today, you know one of the greatest things about being a Christian? I get to rebel against this system. I get to rebel against I mean, I love it. I love it. <clears throat> I love that I can rebel against the American value system and the American way of life and the immoral way of life in this nation that has come to be normal. I love that I can defy most people's view of marriage, and now I'm almost 36 years of marriage, that's rebellion according to Americans. You know, I ought to be on my third one already. But I, I just immersed myself <clears throat> in that culture, and I took on their mannerisms, I, I took on their values, and again, like I said, I would often just sit in my room, I'd read their books, I'd listen to their music, I'd go out wherever I could and, and pretend, really. But there was, another, there was another huge influence on my life, and that was a couple movies that came out at the time. And those of you who are my age, you're going to think this is really crazy, but they really impacted me. In fact, you know, back in the day, we didn't have DVD or video, so if you want to see a movie again, you paid and you went and you went. But what I used to do was go to the first showing, then sneak way in the back like I'm going to the bathroom, then sneak way up and watch the second one again, walk home at 2 in the morning. I absolutely love Billy Jack. <clears throat> Tom Laughlin was from Wisconsin. He played Billy Jack. And he played this guy, this Marine, who came back. He's part Native American from Vietnam. And he comes to this small town where all the white people are always persecuting the Native Americans. And I can't explain this, but ever since I was a little kid, I wanted to be an Indian. When we played Cowboys and Indians, I always played the Indian. Now, I was so into this, so into this, this is no lie, I always marched to the, I always marched to the beat of a different drum. I used to wear leather moccasins that came up to here at school. I was the only kid that did. I took a lot of flack for it. I didn't care. I had hunting knives. I used to practice throwing them into trees. If I could have pulled the headband thing off, I would have, but I had to wear tacky glasses, and it doesn't exactly go real well with glasses. So I never tried. <clears throat> but but I was, what I was really drawn to with Billy Jack <clears throat> was that he always stood up to the bullies. There have been a lot of them in my life, but I, I really liked the fact that he, he stood up for something. And, and, and then the second guy was Charles Bronson and Mr. Majestic. 
And I saw that movie over and over and over again. It's about this watermelon farmer, and all these people are picking on these migrant workers. And, man, I just really related to that. I was so into this stuff that when I graduated in 1975, I had a backpack by the door. It was all ready to go. And the very next morning, I was not into graduation parties. I've never had a party in my life. I've never, I've never gone to a party. I don't like parties. I mean, excuse me, I, I've been to my grandchildren's little birthday parties. I, sorry, I better, I better correct that. I, I had the leads in musicals in high school. I never went to any of the Kagers. I never went to one Kager in my life. I just thought it was a joke. I, I, to be blunt, I thought everybody there was just fake. And I hated fake. I still hate fake today. And I had this backpack by the door, and I got up the next morning. I didn't say goodbye to my family because, you know, rebellion was in. I didn't really like my family. And I took off. I walked down to the highway with my backpack, stuck on my thumb, and went to the mountains. And I lived in the mountains for a little while, and then I took off to Texas. And I worked in Galveston for a while in the oil fields, and then I got tired of that and experienced that. And, but, I, but I went on this journey that summer. And what, what I was trying to find was, is this hippie thing real? Are the people real? Are they genuine? They talk about love, they talk about all this, but are they real? Well, to be really blunt, um, they weren't. In fact, I had a secret wish. My secret wish was I'd been old enough to go to Woodstock because I'd have been there. I'd have been there, but I was like 15. But I listened to all the songs. I remember the first real album I ever bought was all the greatest hits from Woodstock, 1970, when they finally came out with the album. And I just listened to it all over and over and over and over again. And I came back from that summer <clears throat> pretty disillusioned, but confused. I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do with the rest of my life, but I knew, I knew I don't want a normal life. Now, let me describe to you what I viewed as a normal life. I, I don't want to grow up, get married. Go to work, come home, kiss the wife, drink a beer, go to bed, get up, go to work. <laughs> come home, kiss the wife, drink a beer, go to bed, and do the whole thing and then die. That just was not appealing to me. Still isn't appealing to me. But I'm married 36 years and I kissed the wife. And we've had a really good life, but we've had a good life for a reason, and I want to get into that. So I got back, <clears throat> and my head's kind of swimming with these experiences. I ended up in California for a while. And then I came back from California. And I thought to myself, what I was really going to do, I thought, you know, I'm just going to get a little car next time, and I'm going to go on my own terms. And, uh, well, as God would have it, some really uh, very unique and strange things began to happen. And God sort of invaded my world. I mean, you know, you know that movie, Girl Interrupted? That's kind of like Guy Interrupted. And I mean, God interrupted my world. And God interrupted my plans. Now, I'm really glad he did. But at the time, at first, I was really ticked off. I was angry. I was upset. <clears throat> I didn't, you know, I knew a little bit about that God stuff. And to be honest, <clears throat> and I'm going to be really honest, so please don't take offense at this tonight if, if this is you or this is what you grew up with. But <clears throat> I grew up going to church and... <clears throat> After I was a little kid, I put that stuff away, man. 
I mean, most pastors, well, any of the pastors I had, they just simply didn't move me. And if I can be blunt, they weren't men's men. You know, they just weren't. And, and I was just like, you know, I, this Christianity thing, I don't even know what the point is. And all this other stuff really appealed to me, and there were real men involved, and so, you know, I kind of went in that direction. And all of a sudden, God just sort of, you know, you might call it a smackdown. And God just, in, in an incredible way, if I, again, if I told you the story, some of you here know it, and I don't have time tonight for it. It was in a supernatural way in which God intervened in my life um, through bringing circumstances that almost killed me. And I knew it was God because they were, they were very strange. <clears throat> and on three separate occasions, just almost took my life. <clears throat> they made me think about life. God began to make me look at my life and my worldview, and I began to see it in a totally different way. I began to realize as I stepped back, this really is a joke. And here's what's interesting. I mean, now you look back, David Crosby, heroin addict. So many of the people I looked up to, I mean, their life is trash. Bob Dylan and his son, they don't speak to each other. Bob Dylan was a pathetic and is a pathetic father. The test of time has happened with these people and their lives are shattered and broken and messed up and addicted. <clears throat> and I was just beginning as a young man, I was 19 years old, and I was beginning to realize this is a lie. It's all a mirage. It's all a lie. And I want reality. I want authenticity. I want something, something that's real and it's going to matter. I want a life that matters or kill me. That's real, that was really my mentality. Still is today. If you're not going to use me, God, then take me home. And all of a sudden, God awakened in me a desire, a desire he moved in my heart. And I made a forceful, passionate, absolute commitment in my life and got on my face before God and said, I want to be a man of God. I want to be God's man, not the world's man. I want to be God's spokesman, not the world's spokesman. I want to embrace God's values and not the world's. 19. And all by myself, I walked away from any of the friends that I had. I went home. I got rid of every single album that I had. And I began to immerse myself in a book for the first time in my life called the Bible. <clears throat> I knew little stories as a kid. My, my mother and father, especially when I was young, my father was extremely devout and, and really my hero. And my mother still is. My mother's just a gem of a woman. She, you know, five foot two, smiling all the time. She's just a tremendous lady. But, you know, I didn't quite understand that all when I was 17, 18, and 19. Now I'd do anything for her. <clears throat> and I began to discover 
in the Bible some real men. I began to discover there were Bible people in here that lived an extraordinary life, but they were ordinary people. They were like me, and they had passions, and they had desires, and they had struggles, but they were God's man or God's woman. And as I immersed myself, and I have done this now, in September it will be 40 years. So when I say I made an absolute, passionate, forceful decision, I mean I really made a decision that will continue for the rest of my life. And it has been an extraordinary 40 years. And one of the individuals that I'd like to share with you tonight that had a tremendous, and still does, had a tremendous imprintation on my life that I decided I wanted to emulate. I want to imitate. I want him to influence my life was a man in the Bible named David. When I was three years old, this is how religious my family was, how devoted my family was. We lived in California at the time, and my mother and dad, they took me to church, and I have, in fact, I have a little picture, again, I should... Dan Rollins told me I should put this up on my site sometime just because I'm not a Facebook guy, but maybe you'd see some of these cute little pictures of little Mark when I was cute. <laughs> that, that was a long time ago. <clears throat> and I'm standing in front of a little heart on front of a bulletin board with my little cardigan sweater. Why my mother couldn't put me in a leather coat, I don't know. But a little cute little cardigan sweater. And I'm holding a Bible, and behind my head is a heart, and it says, Jesus wants your heart. How would I have ever known? My mother knew. My mother prayed. She's never not missed a day of praying for me in 58 and a half years that God wanted my heart. And so the first thing my mother taught me was she made me memorize Psalm 23. And I had to say it at the church. And the old churches, you know, the... Some of them, California, they had a big state, you know, a big platform where the preacher would kind of be talking way down at you. His voice would boom. And so I'm standing on the edge quoting it, and I started to rock, and I rocked a little too far and fell on my face. We had to stop the service and fix my bloody nose. <clears throat> the first song that I ever wrote, that I ever wrote following Christ was Psalm 23. You can find it on Strong Disciple if you want to go to Strong Disciple, Medicinal Spirit, it's called the 23rd. It was the first one I ever wrote. I have sung that song hundreds of times to myself, to my children. When I eventually had them, I would go in in their room at night and I would sing it to them and play it on my guitar over and over. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I would just sing that whole psalm over and over. And I began to read about the life of David And I was astounded by what I found. Now, I'm not going to be able to cover all of it tonight. We're going to to do part one of it tonight. And then we're going to do part two next week. But I'd like to share with you some of the reasons why David had such a great impact on my life and and why he still does today. So, we're going to pick up this story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And there's something that I want you to notice about this guy, okay? In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the background here of this story is that Israel is God's nation. And King Saul is the king at the time. 
And the Philistines, a mighty, mighty army, many of them giants in the land of the Philistines, are oppressing the Israelites greatly. Samuel is the prophet at the time, and God's been speaking to the prophet Samuel since he was six years old. And, and, and Samuel had extraordinary power. Think about Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. <clears throat> he was that kind of presence. He was that kind of figure in the nation of Israel. And he loved and honored God. <clears throat> well, Saul, he was this disobedient servant of God. And we pick up the story when God comes to Samuel and the Lord says, Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as the king of Israel. Now fill your horn with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be the new king. Samuel said, how can I do it? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. <clears throat> so the Lord said, here's your cover story. See, he had a cover story. <clears throat> Take a heifer with you, cow, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. So the Lord gave him a, a plan within a plan. <clears throat> it wasn't a lie. It was true. But there was more to the story than just sacrificing a heifer. <clears throat> so Samuel did what the Lord said, and he gets to Bethlehem. The leaders of the town come, and they ask, what's wrong? Did you come in peace? Samuel said, I've come in peace. Purify yourself. Bring these kids <clears throat> Bring your sons. So here's what happens. And this is the first verse that struck me. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought Eliab was one of Jesse's oldest sons. <clears throat> Don't judge by his appearance, the Lord said. Because Samuel thought, surely he's the Lord's anointed. <clears throat> That's just what we do today. I remember this when I was a young Christian. All of a sudden, B.J. Thomas becomes a Christian. And whoa, everybody wants to hear his testimony. Before any of these guys were tested, before any God had been able to do any work in their life, and I have seen through the years so many men and women crumble to the ground because they were exalted for their talent or their looks. But that's the wrong criteria. That's the wrong criteria. And this had a tremendous influence on me. <clears throat> because in my own way at the time, I had a lot of people telling me, you go into Christian music, Mark, you go into Christian music. But I felt in my heart something wasn't right with that, but I wasn't sure what. And I read this text. <clears throat> the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't make decisions the way people do. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at a person's thoughts and intentions, the Lord judges the heart. What's in the heart? God sees what's in the heart. <clears throat> and this really, really impacted me. <clears throat> this was the first imprintation of the story of David. If you go a chapter earlier, the Lord says to Samuel, <clears throat> I have already chosen a man after my heart. David, <clears throat> the book of Acts tells us, was a man after God's heart. 
And I remember when I read this, I just, I just put my Bible down. I was out at this park where I go out to this woods. I love the outdoors, and I get away from the city, and it was in this woods. And I just began to cry out to God, God, give me that heart. God, give me this heart. I want David's heart. My heart is yours, Lord. My heart is all yours. I want your ways. I want to do what you want. I want to do what you tell me to do. Help me to know your word and understand it. <clears throat> the next thing that captivated me, it blew my mind. <clears throat> and again, I don't have time. I would love to give you the living color commentary <clears throat> of when David really arrives on the scene in Israel. He is, most scholars believe, 15 or 16 years of age. <clears throat> and the Philistine army has marshaled all of their troops and the battle lines have been drawn in this gigantic valley. <clears throat> thousands and tens of thousands of them. And for 40 days and 40 nights, they come out and taunt the Israelis. <clears throat> but one man named Goliath, nine foot tall, their champion, would come out twice every day, once in the morning, once in the evening. And he would challenge them, send me a man. We'll settle this mano y mano, your man and me. And if he beats me, we will be your slaves. And if I beat him, you will be our slaves. And every time he came out, all of the Israeli men would flee in fear. <clears throat> While this is going on, David's father, Jesse, says, hey, I want you to go see how your brothers are doing in battle. Now, you need to understand why we understand David's age. You could not even be in the army, in the Israeli army, unless you were 20 years or above. <clears throat> and we know how many brothers he had. He was the youngest of seven. <clears throat> so if you begin to extrapolate their approximate ages, and if there's a year between each one or even two years, and both Saul and Goliath refer to him as a boy, as a boy. <clears throat> He's about 15 years of age. <clears throat> and I mean this kid, he's got guts, man. He's got guts. And he comes to the battle line. <clears throat> his father sends him with some food. And he says, I want you to go see how your brothers are doing. So he goes to see how his brothers are doing. And they see him and they taunt him. What are you doing here, you little brat? That's what one version says. You little brat, we know you're arrogant. You're just here to show off. <clears throat> David says, I'm not bothering you. <clears throat> Leave me alone. So he marches up to somebody else, and right when he does, he sees Goliath coming out. And this giant of a man, I mean, he's huge. If you, if you ever watched the WWE when you were a kid and you saw Andre the Giant, Goliath was bigger. <clears throat> if you saw Hulk Hogan, Triple H, Goliath is bigger. He's bigger. You remember when Brock Lesnar was the next big thing, and you see him lift people up and throw them around? Think about a guy who's about five foot taller than Brock Lesnar. That's the reality. That's the reality. And this guy, he comes out and he begins to taunt all the Jews. And David, he sees it. And he runs up and he says, I'll go fight this Philistine. Now you can imagine this. I mean, you just, you just imagine this. If you've watched a movie like Last Samurai... Or you've seen some of the ways these people fight. Friends, let me tell you something a little bit about ancient warfare. I mean, 
I don't mean any disrespect for this, for our military guys here. It takes a lot of guts to go into battle, period. Period. I would have volunteered to fight Goliath if I had a 45 strap next to me, and all he's got is a spear. We're talking, we're talking, this is really gory stuff. Now, it's gory to get shot, too, by the way. If you saw American Sniper, I did. It's praise God, I praise God for our military men and women. My father fought in Korea. I saw the pictures. I, I've studied war. I've got a ton of DVDs at home about World War II and Korea and other wars. I, I understand it. <clears throat> but these guys, man, they be throwing spears at one another, hacking each other's heads off. Well, we're going to get to that. And David comes up, and he says to the king, I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul says. There is no way you can go against this Philistine. You're only a boy, and he's been in the army since he was a boy. Now, remember, I'm 19 when I'm reading this, so I'm only four years older. I relate to David. And I was a risk-taking kind of guy. I mean, you don't hitchhike if you're not a little bit weird. <clears throat> I slept in ditches. All I took with me was a plastic tarp. I was determined to really rough it, so I didn't even take a tent. I carried a club in my bag. My dad thought I should have a gun, but I thought that might get me in trouble, so I took a club, a police baton, as it's called. <laughs> so David said, I have taken care of my father's sheep. Well, okay, yeah, you're a kid. But when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb, I chased it down. Okay, this, is, this kid's a little unique. <laughs> you know, if I'm watching a thousand sheep and you take a lamb and you're a lion, hello, lion, go your way. There's lots more sheep here. <clears throat> you you got to be a little bit off in the head or really faithful in your duties and courageous to go run down a lion, dragging a lamb, grab it, and beat it to death. <clears throat> he said, I go after it with a club, and I take the lamb from its mouth. The animal turns on me. I caught it by the jaw, and I club it to death. There you go. It's a violent kid. <clears throat> I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of God. The Lord who saved me from the claws of the lion and bear will save me from this Philistine. All right, well, there you go. There, there we got it right there. David, already at 15, loved God. He had a respect for God. He saw God work in his private life. You have no business in the public arena if you've not seen God work in your private life. And that really hit me. That really hit me. <clears throat> I began to realize, Lord... What am I going to believe you for in my private life? I used to tell my children. I have a little book that I've been writing over the years, just, just probably, probably for my own family. And I used to tell them, if you squash your ants, you'll kill your giants. If you're not faithful with the little issues of your life, if you can't control yourself, if you can't learn to say no to this and yes to that, then you'll never conquer your giants. Never. <clears throat> and David was faithful in the small things. And this struck me. I really needed to understand this. I needed, because, you know, <clears throat> I had skipped most of high school. <clears throat> Let's just say I wasn't faithful. I didn't like it. I didn't do it. That was my mentality. If I don't like it, I don't do it. 
I like to work, so that worked because I went to work. I really liked to work. I hated school. But now I realized I need schooled in God's truth. And I need to be disciplined. And I need to get in the book. And get in the book that I get in the book. And I read. And I read. And I memorized. And I read. And I thought about. And I pondered. And I began to take little steps of faith. I began to be a, a witness on my job. I began to reach out to others less fortunate than I was by myself. I didn't have a team of people around me. I realized I needed to be faithful with my lions and my bears because I really believed there would be a time that God would have me with giants. And and he has. But it was years coming. David goes out. And he runs to meet this guy. (laughs) He runs. And as he runs, he pauses. He picks him some stones. He takes his sling. Now, you might say a sling's a little bit like a forty-five. I don't think Goliath expected a rock in the brain. See? And David's whipping that thing, and he swings it around, and he's practiced at it. By the way, David's not going out there not having practiced. That'd be really stupid. <clears throat> and he hits Goliath so hard in the forehead, stuns him, he goes down. David goes over without a thought, pulls out his sword. Ha- I always tell my mom, Mom, if you want to keep the little boy's attention in Sunday school, then tell him the rest of the story, Mom. And one day she looked at me. <clears throat> my mom's been a Sunday school teacher. She still is. She'll be 80 this, this June. <clears throat> she said, Mark, what is the rest of the story? I said, Mom, really, you don't know? She goes, "Um, well, tell me, let me see. I said, he stood on his chest, took out a sword, hacked his head off, held it up by the hair, and the whole army ran away. She goes, ooh, Mark, that's kind of gory. I said, that's the story, Mom. (laughs) You want to keep little boy's attention? There you go. (laughs) Tell him the story. And then he sticks it on a pole. And they rout the entire army because one 15-year-old boy knew how to trust God because he'd learned privately first, and he was ready. He was ready. That impacted me tremendously. I began to realize that I was reading history. I wasn't hearing a little mythological Bible story. I was reading history of a man who became God's man. Little by little, little by little, it began to change my... Well, listen, I have so many more things to tell you. you got to come back next week because there's a lot more to this story. But I'm going to close in prayer so you can get down and buy some artwork. Okay? And, and trust me, I know this family. I know what they're doing down there. I've seen the pictures. I've had them in our board meetings. It's a tremendous work they're doing for these children who would otherwise be literally, as John said, locked in boxes as their family believes that child cursed their lives. Father, we just thank you tonight that you can work in a life, you can transform a life. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that we'd be people of the book. And that we'd see the ways in which the Bible people can influence our life in wonderful ways. Bless each and every person that's here tonight, Lord. Give them a good time with their grandchildren and the children downstairs and Bring them back next week in Jesus' name. Amen.